I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman and Chris Peters of Flow Hockey for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We have a jam-packed episode today. Scott Wheeler is going to join us. He and Corey both have new sets of draft rankings out. We're going to make them debate like we love to do. Uh, But first, we're going to start by wrapping up the U18s. Outstanding gold medal game, guys. Uh, Ends with a golden goal by Ryan Leonard. Uh, Honestly, pretty reminiscent of the Lucas Raymond golden goal from a couple tournaments ago. Uh, Really exciting stuff to, to close that tournament, Corey. Yeah, and I think for me, it was the story of this tournament was the steady elevation of the Sweden 05 age group. This was not an age group at the Holinka. Even though they made the gold medal game, I don't think you were blown away by the age group. I thought you, you know, I thought Canada, they, the game was close with it for about a period or so, but then Canada, I thought, you know, took care of business and, and looked like the clearly better team. November five nations, they, they were the second best team there, but I, I thought there was a clear distinction between them and the United States. Uh, you know, World Junior A Challenge, they were just okay. Finland, f- five nations. They were the third best team there. So you thought, okay, this is a good age group. It's Sweden. There's good players, but this is not an, ex- an excellent Swedish age group. This is not a, an age group full of first-round picks. And then we get to this tournament, and and they begin this tournament with a bang, an 8 nothing stomping of Canada to open the tournament. You're like, oh, okay, that's a really first game, really good first game. And the rest of the round robin goes. They, they, they win out. They kind of struggle versus Germany, strangely enough. And... But then they get to the medal round and it's another convincing win over Canada, a very convincing win. And then they push this USA 05 team, the 05 team that has, you know, the great Cobbs and, and James Hagen's Cole Eisenman, and Cole Hudson. And they push that team right to the brink and they make them work for it. This team lost to Finland in, at the uh, February Five Nations, but they kind of got goalied in that game. That was not this game. They, they skated with them. 
And I think you saw the Swedish age group that has some really good players. You have see the, the development of David Edstrom from Prolunda, who really was one of the very best forwards of this tournament and played uh, the most minutes of any of their forwards. You saw the tremendous development of, ta- of Tom Willander, who will be at Boston University next season. And for, I mean, I know Axens and Pelica was named defenseman of the tournament, but I would have given it to Willander. I thought he was outstanding throughout the tournament. You know, really, Willander, Sandin Pelica, and Theo Lindstein, you could have argued, were the three best defensemen, in my opinion, in the entire tournament. And, and I thought they led to shutting down uh, uh, USA's forwards for large portions of that game. And it, it really, it actually, was kind of funny. They dressed seven defensemen in that gold medal game, but they only played five. And it's because I think they, the, the way the coach used their players is he made sure Sandin Pelica and Willander were on the ice every shift, no matter no matter what. And I think really impressive uh, development by this age group, but the USA 05s, an, an outstanding uh, collection of talent there. Uh, one of the greatest lines in the NTDP's history and uh, very fitting that Ryan Leonard gets gets the golden goal. Yeah, it, it was a really outstanding tournament, outstanding game. Chris, I mean, this was really the first game that USA was even really tested uh, and how fitting that that one of their players from the big line, it comes in three on three, so whatever. But one of the players who's really going to define this age group for USA gets it done. Yeah, you know, and it's it's the guy who didn't have as many points as his line mates, but is yes. just as important as every single, you know, he he is probably one of the most important players on that team just because he is such an engine in terms of, you know, the, the way that he clears the road, the way that he, he makes plays. And then also he's got that tremendous finishing ability. So Ryan Leonard closing it out. Um, you know, it was it was it was rather fitting that he that he did that. Um, and, you know, it's it's crazy, too, because they didn't you know, I thought that U.S. team for the for two periods looked as bad as I have ever seen them play. I mean, it reminded me of a regular season game where they just didn't have it. It was like, where is the jam? Where is the energy? And really, for 50 minutes of that game, they that was the that was the story, and I was like, "What is going to happen with this team?" And then all of a sudden, you get a big goal from Danny Nelson on a high tip. You know, he's he's able to get that in. That's a that's a good bounce. You know, it's a, those are hard goals to score. It's a good bounce. Um, and then you know, you get, also get a deflection goal off of Kerry Terrence, who was actually getting knocked over, and Cole Eiserman, who had all those goals, he scores with three minutes to go um, in regulation. And so, really. They have to feel fortunate that they won that game. And you also have to give a ton of credit for Sweden. I thought Sweden played fast. They played physical. As Corey mentioned, they were rolling their top three defensemen. I thought Willander was just, un, just unstoppable. Like, you know, he was just basically, you couldn't get around him. You couldn't get a lot of pucks through him. And, and that was really part of, part of the big story of the game. But they stayed with it. They have the skill. They had the ability to continue to uh, pressure. And and in the end, that skill won out. They had to kill a big penalty at the end of the game as well. Will Smith um, got called for tripping at the end of regulation. They kill that. And uh, some big shot blocks. And also got to give a ton of credit to, to Trey Augustine. Sweden did not get goalied in this game. But without Trey Augustine, this doesn't get to overtime. Made a couple of key saves late. Um, I thought it was one of his best-looking games internationally. Um, he had a you know 30, 30 saves in the game, um, and was uh, a key factor in, in USA winning. And now you know, Max, you mentioned this not a few podcasts ago. Officially, the number two save percentage all time at the NTDP, number four in goals against average, number four in single season wins. That's that's all single season stats. I mean, he's towards the top of the 
of the record books for all of it. He won he he lost one game in regulation all year. Three total at the NTDP. Lost a few at the World Juniors, but three games total. And this was a guy that struggled last year at the gold medal game. Huge redeeming tournament. Incredible performance, and I think a, a very solidifying performance for him in terms of you know being among the top goaltenders in this draft class. I just put out the the new uh, new draft list, and, and Will Lander. I think I had much fourteen or fifteen, something around there. And I, I know you don't want to put too much helium from one tournament, but if you're going to have one big tournament, that's was the tournament, and those were the games to have him in. And in, in a draft class that we have often discussed, is light on premium defense talent. I think it's worth asking, what's the ceiling on Tom Willander in this draft? How high could he actually go when you see this guy who is this exceptional skater, who looked like he could move pucks well, who competed hard? Like He, he uh, gave that top USA line a ton of trouble, not just with the skating, but his physicality. And, you know, I, is, is top 15 too high? Is top 10 too high? I think... I think if you're doing a mock draft, you have to have him somewhere in that discussion right now. So I'm not yeah. saying that this is the comp here, but a lot of the things that you guys have talked about with profile with Willander, there Sanderson. is some rhyme with Jake Sanderson, right? <laughs> I'm not saying yeah. that's the comp, but if you're talking no, how high could it go? Yeah, I think he's a little smaller than him, like maybe an inch, inch and a half smaller, but I think the skating is comparable. I think the the compete and the offensive ability, which is good, not great, is comparable. So yeah, like because I yeah, I think there is a possibility he could be a top ten draft pick. Yeah, I I'm I'm leaning towards that as well, Corey. And honestly, this is a guy that, you know, in, in previous live viewings of him. You you just always find him. You find him on the ice when he's out there because of the mobility, because but, of the way that he plays. But, but it's interesting that Max connects those dots because I think you could have saw that with Sanderson in his draft year. Like he wasn't the first power play guy at the mm-hmm. November tournament. Like the offense was a question, and then as the year went on, they, they they went from kind of like giving him like he was always a top player for them. So I think there's a distinction there. He was the captain of the age group. Like they knew he was he was their their dude. But but and then towards the end of the year, that February Five Nations, he was outstanding. I think he had like two points per game or something in that tournament. So I think it's interesting how you connect those. Like, I don't think he is as good as Sanderson was at that age, but I don't think it's un- insane to to make that comparison, at least in terms of the play styles, and and maybe not that far apart as players at the same age. Yeah, and and also to your point, Corey, about you know not wanting to put too much helium into one one event the thing is is we still need to see them do it right and whether yep. where wherever they do it and and when they do it if 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 that's that's important um it's not a mirage with tom Olander. that's the thing is like mm-hmm. i don't think the way that he played was a good week of hockey i think that is yeah. he played to his identity he played to the way that we we've seen him play in previous international competitions and yes the numbers were not amazing this year but i think you know max you nailed it too and, and Corey just kind of Saying that, you know, I'm watching Willander more and more and just saying, just, you know, I'm, how are we not higher on him? How are we not elevating him now? There's no way Rogla wins the J20 title without him as well. It's like, this is just a guy who I just think has developed really well this season. And I think, I think he's going to be one of the very best uh, freshmen in college next season. Another guy coming out of, of this tournament for Sweden, Corey, who, who shot up your list is David Edstrom. And, and really we could lump him and Otto Stenberg to kind of together in this conversation, the two for Lunda sure. kids for them. But Edstrom, I think especially really changed the way that people are going to look at him or at least talk about him. I'm, I'm sure yeah. scouts were seeing plenty from him already coming out here. 
Right. I think when you watched him all year, he saw a 6'3 center. He works hard. Uh, you know, the skating looks, you know, not amazing, but, but good enough kind of thing. You're like, okay, this is like a bottom six forward. Like he's not, you know, he's always second power play, net front, point per game guy in his junior league. You know, this is not, this is an exceptional profile. But, you know, I used the comp in my article to Joel Erickson Eck. And if you actually go look back at his production, both in the SHL and J20, both in his draft year and draft minus one, man, you could connect those dots real easily there in terms of just the production, uh, the size, the skating, uh, the two-way play. I thought it was interesting on a team where Otto Stenberg is the guy. You know, he's been the guy for his age group all along. It was David Edstrom who led this team in ice time, both in the important games and overall. You know, this is a the guy they leaned on. And I think he showed skill. I'm not saying it's high-end skill. I'm not here saying he's going to get you 50-plus points in the NHL on a regular basis. But I think he showed he can create an offense. That game versus Canada, he made some really impressive offensive plays um, against guys who will be drafted high. And I, I think this is a guy who, um, again, just steady progression over the course of the season. You watch his SHL tape, and he looks impressive at that level against men, um, even in limited minutes. I think this is a really uh, solid all-around pro prospect given the size, skating, developing offense, and high compete level. One more guy I think we should talk about. We probably should throw him into this USA segment because when Chris was talking about, you know, where was the jam, I think it's really interesting that the player USA chose for their player of the game in that gold medal game was, in fact, Danny Nelson, who's another guy who I think is going to rise coming out of this event, Corey. Yeah, one thing that I thought was really interesting is uh, – so. The, the game gets tied late in the third. And then a USA takes a late penalty there, right at the end of the third period. And it goes into overtime and they get, they're, they're able to you know, clean the ice. It's a full intermission between the, in the gold medal game only between third period and overtime. And that was a three on three overtime. We can debate that another day. Uh, but that's, that, that's the format. And then they, they come back and they got to kill a penalty off for a full minute. And this is a USA team with really good forwards on their team. Ryan Leonard is a great two-way player. Oliver Moore is a great two-way player. He's been their, one of their top penalty killers all season. And with their season on the line, the one forward the coaching staff puts over the bench to kill that penalty is Danny Nelson. And I thought that was so fascinating that that was the guy they leaned on and played quite a bit of that overtime period for them. This is a guy with a really unique backstory and profile. He is a young player. I think he's like a July or an August 05. This is a guy who a season ago was not playing USHL with the program. He was in high school playing defense full time and then comes into the program this season and plays center. And really, it didn't go well for a large portion of the season. I'm not sure whether Chris agrees with that or not, but like, I, there was a lot of games where I don't think you noticed Danny Nelson with the program this season. He starts on the second line center, ends up on the fourth line by the end of the season. Um, and But I thought at this tournament, I thought he rose to the occasion. I thought he showed a really good compete level to go with the size, skating, contributed a big goal, including uh, a really nice goal against the Czechs in the quarterfinals and, of course, the big goal in the gold medal game. And it's possible he doesn't have offense. I think there's a legit concern on his hockey sense and whether there's actually going to be offense when he gets to college. And never mind the pros. Um, but I think he made a really good closing argument for himself in both the gold medal game and in this tournament overall. Yeah. The, the other thing that he did too, is I think that he showed the progression of the season. We talked about last time we talked about him on this podcast, 
that, you know, he, he took a long time to get up to speed, like, and, and getting up to playing with players of, of the caliber of an Oliver Moore and the pace of an Oliver Moore is a big task, which is something that, you know, you saw. And then in the, in the end, in this tournament, they move him away. You know, they, they, they moved him. They kind of had had him away from Moore for a bit now. And, you know, he's, he's kind of running his own line. And I thought that that opened things up. And not only did he score that goal in the gold medal game and it killed a big penalty, I thought of the lines that were actually going in the first 50 minutes of the game, Danny Nelson's line was one of them. They were hard on the forecheck. They were getting sustained zone press, uh, sustained offensive zone time, even more than the big line was. Um, you know, I think he's figured out more how to use his size. He is a very good penalty killer. He is, um, you know, I, I think he, he's got a great work ethic on the ice and he did catch up and his numbers actually over the course of the season, you know, they're pretty decent, you know, for the NTDP with, with, with their mixed schedule. It's not, it's not terrible. Um, you know, I think that you could see flashes here and there in games of some of the offense that he can provide, but like, yeah, I don't think he's going to be a top six scorer, but he is, he showed NHL traits as this, as the season wore on. And I think he got better as the season wore on. And then as he gets to the the final stage, he puts together probably the best performance that I'd seen of him this season. So I, I, I really like that. And I think that of the, you know, his NHL development going to Notre Dame, that's good. That's a place where they, they really hone in on that defensive style. Um, it'll probably be a bigger part of his game going forward. Uh, you know, it might, you, you wonder about offensive upside and things of that nature and developing offense. But I think he will come out of that, a very complete center that will find a way to, uh, to you know, to play good NHL minutes and be a matchups guy, be a penalty killer um, and do all those different things. If you had told Team USA before the tournament started, we're going to give Danny Nelson no power play time, but he'll end the tournament a point-per-game player. I think they would have been ecstatic sure. with that mm-hmm. as a 6'3 guy who can skate and he's uh, and, he, and killing penalties. Uh, it'll be one of the most fascinating questions I'll, I'll be asking of our writers here on The Athletic is after he gets drafted, to whoever drafts him. And I think he's going to go fairly high. I think he's a top-two-round guy for sure. And I wouldn't be surprised if he even stuck in late into day one, to be quite honest, because I think of the unique tools and the and, and the profile. I, I think one of the questions, whichever one of our beat writers gets to talk to him or to the, the management team that drafts him is, what position is he playing for you guys in five years? Did you draft him as a center or did you draft him as a defenseman? Because I think it's I think Danny wants to be a forward, but I think when you look at um, how he does in those clutch defensive situations, I think you would at least have to ask that question of, Okay, if he's not going to be this big time offensive guy, but he knows how to play defense, why don't we just play him at defense? Number 33 on Corey's list. Uh, you can check that out on theathletic.com. One more thing. I'm actually going to pull this up from the mailbag, Corey, because uh, in the top 10, you got a couple of the Russian guys, Daniil Boot and Dmitry Simashev, toward the back of the top 10. I, I think, obviously, Matvey Michkov much higher than that. I think he's at number three for you in this edition. Um, Avko Cup made a really good point in the mailbag this week. And he said, does the recent flurry of Russian players signing ELCs give teams any reassurance about potentially drafting Michkov? I think we can expand that out to include those other two guys we talked about. I think we can expand that out to talk about Mikhail Glyayev. Uh, where are you at on this? Should people be uh, heartened by the flurry of Russian guys signing this week? So to give context to that question, so he's referring to the fact, so the KHL season just ended starting May 1st, the contracts rolled over. And, and players' deals expired, and a lot of the highly drafted NHL prospects over the last few years signed. Ivan Mirosachenko, first-round pick, 
Nikita Chiprikov, second round pick, Maxim Groshev, third round pick, Ned Daniel Musul and Viktor Noichev, third round picks, all signed with the respective NHL clubs. Um, it's been reported in Russia that Fedor Svechkov, a first round pick by Nashville, is likely signing with them too. So you're seeing uh, a flurry of highly drafted players, which is like the key part, obviously, uh, signing with their NHL teams. And it's been interesting talking to NHL teams about this in the context of Boot and Simashev and Gulyayev. I think Mitch Kovs is in it. It's his own unique discussion when it comes to this because of the longevity of his contract. Boot, Simashev, and Gulyayev are on standard uh, contracts that will take them through their age 19 seasons in the KHL is they've said like the the experience now with signing these guys is it's different but it's not two different worlds it's you have to have make sure your your scouts with everyone a lot of teams not every team mind you but most teams have have Russian scouts it's making sure that you're having good consistent dialogues with them good consistent dialogues with their agents um, and. Like the process is a little bit more convoluted because there's there's no embassies now in Russia. You have to, you know, bring them into another country first and then take care of the process from there in terms of bringing them to North America. Um, but I think there is still a belief that if you if it's there's there's two components that I think to getting these done. That one, the team, the NHL team has to be diligent and committed to bring it over. This is not something you can just kind of do at the last second like you can do with like say like a junior player who Everyone knows he only has one path. Um, and the other part is that the Russian player has to, you know, be on top of things, showing a commitment to getting it done and communicating with you and be willing to take the steps necessary in this complicated time. I think there is still a risk with Russian players that this is how things are working right now. You know, Nashville got Askarov over, Vancouver got Andre Kuzmenko over. Um, but it doesn't mean that in next year or two years or five years from now, that it's going to be the same set of circumstances. And, you know, there's always the risk. You saw what happened with, with Fedotov, the Flyers goaltender, where he uh, gets detained and sent to a military camp uh, for evading his military service uh, was the, um, the, 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 the alleged reason for, what, for why that happened. You know, so there's, there's, a, there's a, the risk of the unknown still in drafting these Russians. And just because Mirosachenko signs does not mean you're getting Dmitry Simashev Easily does not mean that's going to go down without any complications. I I cannot sit here and guarantee you that, but I definitely can say that uh, that obviously it's very interesting, and there are teams that feel that they can get this done, and there's a lot of interest still in these highly rated Russian prospects, especially as uh, there's a lot of NHL teams are going to get the uh, rare opportunity to be live in a few weeks at a U20 tournament. Uh, I, I do expect there will still be several Russians picked in the first round. All right, we're going to take a quick break right there. We'll be right back with Scott Wheeler. Okay, we are back, and we are back with a friend, Scott Wheeler, joining the show. Uh, he and Corey both with fresh draft lists out this week. And we wanted to talk today about a few of the guys who they are a little bit apart on. Uh, obviously, here we're talking about guys who are mostly still in their top 40, so high prospects for them all. But there are some gaps here. And two of the guys who I think it's interesting are in basically opposite spots on your two lists are a couple of the centers that we could see go early. Oliver Moore, who I believe Scott has seventh. Corey has right in the mid-teens, late teens. Uh, and Nate Danielson, Corey has six. Scott has closer to 20. I want to just touch there of, of what the gaps are, how, how you two would compare these two players. Scott, you are the guest. We will let you uh, go first here. Well, I think more the if it's a debate one versus the other, I think the the case I would make for Oliver Moore certainly starts with his skating. Oliver's 
probably, and not even probably, I think certainly at this point, the best skater in the draft uh, can really dictate play when he's on. He's a force out there. He's also just one of those hounding players. Like he's just a bulldog. He's a Rottweiler out there. He's chasing down pucks. He's applying pressure on the back check. He's getting after it on the four check. And I think he's learned over his two years of the program how to use his speed better, when to slow up, when to take players one-on-one, when to turn on the jets and get out in transition for a breakaway. All of that has come a long, long way. His decision-making uh, offensively has has taken huge, huge strides. And I just thought he, this year he was a driver. He was outside of that top line, the player on that team who drove the bus and was extremely productive despite not often playing on the top power play, at least in the second half. He played a lot on the top power play in the first half. But once they added guys like Eisenman and Haggins, his role kind of changed. Uh, really drove the bus on a line with Ryan Fine and, and Danny Nelson for most of the year before before Eisenman arrived sort of late in the second half after the, the top prospects game and all that. And I just thought he was the the best player on that team other than those three and has all of the tools he needs in terms of the skating, how physically strong he now is, the battles he wins, all of that to really sort of take over and be a dominant shift to shift, game to game. Every single time he's out there, he's coming at you and playing in waves and attacking you and sort of imposing his will on a game on the game in ways that few players in this draft uh, don't. And then on on the flip side, Danielson, I really like Danielson. Corey and I have talked a, a lot about Danielson, and most recently at U18s, we were sort of picking each other's brains on him. And Danielson's a kid who is a very sort of high floor guy. Like I think everybody just expects him to be an NHL player, kind of kind of a lot like Dawson Mercer in his draft year, and just that sort of this guy's going to play like he's just going to be an effective NHL player. He plays center. He can skate. He's got good size, checks a lot of boxes. I think my worry in the top 10 with a player like Danielson is what's that next echelon look like for him. He's already one of the older players in this draft. He's already played three years at the WHL level from a statistical standpoint, just wasn't, uh, hasn't really popped that way. Certainly the team he played on was a factor in that. I would say the same about Callum Ritchie and playing in Oshawa. Like they both just played on bad teams. It's harder to put up points, all of that. Uh, but I just, he, he looks to me like a guy who's just going to be a really solid third line center, maybe a, a good sort of second line center. And I'm not sure that's the kind of player that I'd be targeting in terms of the, the top 10 conversation that I think Corey believes he, he belongs in. If you kind of felt like he was Dawson Mercer, wouldn't Dawson Mercer be a top 10 player in the, in the 2020 draft right now? Borderline. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly yeah, I mean, he's in that conversation now. Yeah. Um, so like, I think with Moore versus Danielson, uh, I think that they both check the physical tools, um, you know, with, with emphasis in different ways. Kind of what Scott said, Moore is the best skater in the draft. Uh, and he's, you know, exceptional edge work, you know, really good speed. Just like, like skating is, is a dimensional trait. Uh, I think Danielson's skating is quite strong too. Uh, and he does it in a nearly six foot two frame. They measured him in essentials. Uh, measurement at the top prospect game at six one and a half, so about you know two and a half, three inches taller than more, while also being a very strong skater. Uh, so I think those are reasons to to really like the you know the physical tools of Danielson. Again, I think I think there, there's some comparables there. I think they're both competitive two way centers. Uh, I think the question with both of them comes down to how much offense they have. I think you could ask scouts about either Moore or Danielson, and some will believe they have offense, and some will believe they don't have offense for both players. I think with Danielson, 
kind of what Scott said. He's an older player. The point production was good, not amazing this year uh, with more. His point production also wasn't amazing with the caveat. He played on that second line, second power play for most of the year on that loaded team, but still only basically a point per game in the USHL, eight goals in 23 games in the USHL. It's not ideal. I think what Danielson is, I see a longer history of, of, of offense. I see a guy who, when there's actually been good players in Brandon over the last two seasons, he produces over a point per game last year when guys like Ridley Gregg and Signore were there in that COVID bubble the prior year. I think it's something like 15 points in 25 games two seasons ago. Um, so, and, and just when you go watching at the Canada, say U20 camps, U18 camps, this is a guy who I think has shown skill in those environments around better players. Uh, so I do think there is offense in there. I think it will come with time um, and possibly better players, you know, whether they bring them in Brandon next season or, or not. Uh, and so whereas with more, I, I do wonder if like, he's a good player, the skills legit, like you saw at U18s, just for an example, like he can make really high skilled plays and do so at fast speeds. I do wonder if there's going to be, you know, big time sense and uh, production at higher levels. What's interesting to me is like, to me, these guys are, obviously there's some profile differences in terms of the size and whatever, but they are similar kind of players in, in a lot of ways. I, I think Moore is obviously faster and, and Danielson's obviously bigger, but I think when you're talking about what they are, you're talking about guys who have a really good chance to be second line center in the NHL. They're going to do it a little bit different ways. I, I think I'm just mm-hmm. surprised like why, why one would be a top 10 borderline top five pick or a ranked player for you guys. And one would be t- toward 20. You know what I mean? Right. I think with Daniel saying, like, I think it comes out of the offense. I think if you didn't believe there was legit offense in there, like top six offense, you know, a guy who can be a, a you know, guy with the two way ability and, and, and score, then, then you would lower him into closer to where Scott is. So I think that is really the distinction. If you believe Moore is going to have legit offense at higher levels, he's going to be a big time scorer. Like he's going to be maybe like a lighter version of Tim Stutzla. Then yeah, I would buy where Scott has that. But whereas like, I, I kind of view him, more like in the mold of like what Alex Newhook is right now kind of thing, where he's a really good player. But I don't think you're looking at him in Colorado's lineup as a guy who's, who's going to drive the bus and be a, like a top offensive guy. Scott, were you a Frank Nazer guy last year? Where, where did you have Nazer? I was sort of in the, the just outside the top 10 conversation on Nazer, sort of, sort of all year long in that sort of 10 to, 10 to 16 range. Obviously, he was picked at the front end of that range yeah. and things have been complicated by his leg and all of that. But uh, yeah, sort of. I was I was more or less where he where he ended up. I was too, and I kind of wonder like how how do you see the differences between him and Moore, both guys who I think can can make a lot of do a lot of damage with their speed, uh, some finishing ability certainly. I would say that that Moore is a more powerful player in terms of how he does that. He's got a physical maturity to his build, like he's just a stockier, stronger, thicker kid than Frank was. Frank was about five foot 10. So an inch shorter than more and more sort of five eleven, five eleven and a half, uh, and, and just a thicker, stronger player. And you see that in, in other, in other traits too, right? He shoots the puck harder. He's the, the, the skating is a more explosive, I would say a more explosive stride. Frank's just so quick and nimble out there. Whereas it's, it's pure power. Uh, it, it, it almost like a sprinter. And I, I wrote a story on more and he, did sprinting sort of all the way up. So he's got that background as a, as a track athlete as well. Um, but yeah, just a, a, a sort of phys- greater physical maturity, I think a safer projection in a player like Oliver more than in Frank Nazar. Frank uh, sort of could dazzle you, I think a little bit more in spurts than, than what Oliver Moore brings, but Moore is just a consistent sort of driver on his line in a way that Frank wasn't and probably won't ever be. 
All right. Uh, the next guy I want to talk about that you guys are, are a part on is Tom Valander. And, and Corey, I know uh, he was a big riser up your board. I think he's the third D now on your board uh, coming out of the U18. Scott, I, I don't think he makes your list, but I think I know you had him as a as a, a standout coming out of the U18s, too. Uh, yeah. Let's start with Corey here on, on Valander. What did he do to rocket up this this list? Right. I think this is a guy who has really improved throughout the season. And, you know, when I watched him beginning of the year into the Holinka, the November Five Nations, World Junior Ray Challenge, going forward into the second half, I saw a player, the skating, like, immediately stood out at you. But I think, you know, whether from my observation and talking to scouts, there was a question, is, is does he have the hockey sense? Is there an offensive element in his game? Can he move pucks at the higher levels? And I think he steadily answered those questions for me over the course of the year into the February Five Nations, where I thought he was quite good. And then, you know, his strong play, you know, with his club team, he was a go-to player on, on Rogalis J20 team. They won the title. He was a major part of that team for winning the title. Then he goes to the U18 Worlds, puts up, I think it was a point per game or just over a point per game. You know, big part of that, running that power play to go with the great skating, the physicality, uh, played 30 minutes in that gold medal game against the U.S. that they came you know, so close to winning. Uh, I just see a lot of components there with, again, I think he's one of the best skaters in the draft, not Oliver Moore skating, but he's one of the best skaters in the draft. And now the offense, I think, is being confirmed a little bit. And so I just think oh, there's there's a lot of two-way traits here that I think, you know, makes me think of, you know, Braden Schneider or, you know, Caden Gooley or, or, or those kinds of players. I honestly wholeheartedly agree there. I, I think Lowander is a, a fabulous, fabulous sort of two-way prospect. I think that's what you're hoping for out of him is this sort of safe projection as a potential third-pairing guy. And now maybe he's showing that he, if, if he reaches his ceiling, it might be a little bit more than that. The skating is obvious. Both him and Dmitry Simashev are two kids who don't have these sort of glossy statistical profiles, but can really skate and have size and sort of play the game with a presence and a command that teams certainly covet. So uh, I, I, I honestly like I like Willander a lot. I, he, he was, as, as you kind of alluded to, was the final cut on my, my most recent top 32, but could easily see him. Uh, but by the time sort of I do my due diligence and finish up my my final board within the next month, I wouldn't be surprised if he was sort of late twenties or, or sort of a couple of slots higher, sneak into the first round on my board kind of thing. Uh, you you know, I mean, you know, Chris and Cam and Rogla too. Like they they didn't want him to to go to BU. They they were really excited about him and big believers in him. And uh, there's there's a lot of that in Sweden. I think they view him as the horse of this age group, and he's going to play big minutes at the World Juniors for them, and all of that. So there's a lot of appeal there. Yeah, it, it's just the presence that he has out there is is impressive. You can just tell that he's in command of the ice. He he knows where where and when he wants to sort of arrive at destinations and all of that. Like he just gets it out there and and the game sort of not, not flows through him. I wouldn't say he's like, like Corey alluded to, he's not a super, super talented player, uh, but the game does sort of steer downhill when he's out there, it seems. And and he can, he can sort of play it in all situations. So I'm excited to see what he does at BU and take that next step. And he's got, he's got legit potential as a sort of potential NHL or someday. Yeah, it's interesting. When when I was there, uh, Chris Abbott was talking about how they kind of have three traits that they look for above all, and it's skating, competitiveness, and, and hockey sense. And I definitely think mm-hmm. Philander, uh embodies all that. And I, th- I think people got a much better look at that uh, at the what 18s. Else, what else is there, really? <laughs> you know, like, like, I mean, I know you can say like – Fair, skill, fair point. Like, yes, no, I, I know. I remember like one guy told me like the other day, like he, he wants guys who are fast, skilled – 
smart and competitive. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's that's sounds ideal kind of thing. Um, they don't care but, if they got a good shot. That's what I guess I'm saying, right? <laughs> I guess like a size would be the one thing that you kind of right. say there. But yeah, no, I guess my, my, my one question on Willander then is like based on like everything you just said there, Scott, it seems like you agree with the assessment. It seems like you like the player. And then you at the end, of you tie it all on the bow and say, I project him as a third pair player. I guess that's kind of where I'm, I would be confused. Like, why is he not a top four, projected top four for you? Well, I think I think that's the floor. Like his floor would be as as sort of a third pairing guy. I think he's got one of the higher floors among the defensemen in this draft. Again, just the I, I think there is a potential for him to be a sort of number three or a number four long term if all goes well. It does still feel like he's got some work to do in terms of getting yeah. there. Uh, you sort of alluded to to the offense. He manages the puck well, and he outlets the puck well, and he skates the puck up ice and activates in transition and joins and all of that. All of that's there. Um, but the, the statistical profile doesn't really pop at this point. He still it hasn't been a consistent PP1 guy at lower levels. Is there a concern that he's like a smaller Philip Broberg, essentially? I think he's a smarter player than I, I had big concerns about the way that Broberg sort of thought the game at that age. And I don't necessarily see that in in Willander. Um, I agree. But I, I don't think his size is a concern for me either. And I mean, in terms of him being quote-unquote smaller like he's still a, a sort of pro-built defenseman in terms of how he looks uh yeah. but uh, yeah just not quite sure yet what that that game offensively is going to look like can he even be a pp2 guy for example or are we just looking at a five-on-five guy who can help out on the penalty kill and is a solid two-way guy at five-on-five kind of thing yeah my comp for him is mike matheson who i i could be way off i did not watch i, I want i don't want to pretend about the pittsburgh penguins uh, expert, but I don't believe he was like a go-to power play guy when he was with the Penguins. Then he goes mm-hmm. to a worse team in Montreal and he gets uh, more offensive opportunities. I thought it was yeah. interesting. He got a pretty good power play run at the U18s, even over Sandy and Pelica at times, you know? Yeah, they kind of had that split unit. Yeah, yeah. they had two units that were running well. Um, but no, I mean, it was, I mean, I thought, like, I didn't think his offensive playmaking like stood out. I didn't think that was the thing about his game that got you extremely excited, but I think he showed there's enough there that I think to go with what I think is going to be excellent, excellent defending ability. I mean, you saw him against team Canada, team USA, their top guys uh, kind of run, ran into a wall when they played against, but I think there's enough offense to go with that defending that I think there's a lot of pro projection there. I think he's going to be extremely good at BU right out of the gates. We probably have time for one more here. I, I want to get you both on Zach Benson and a guy who I think our listeners are going to be really keen to hear each of your thoughts on. Scott, I know he's really high on your list. Corey, he's kind of steadily slipped down yours over the course of the season. Uh, I, let's start with Scott here. We just started with Corey. Uh, what's keeping Benson so high for you? I just think he's a stud. Like everything that he does when he's on the ice is done at a high level. It's done with pace and energy. He checks all of the boxes in terms of skill, the playmaking, touch on the puck, the finesse game, the shot, the hands, the skating. Um, His skating has come a long, long way. He's always had incredible, incredible edges in terms of opening up his hips and adjusting around coverage and spinning off of pressure and, and changing directions and all of that. But because of how hard he works and how quickly his feet are moving, going north south and on the back check and all of that, he's also a very he's become a pretty fast player in terms of straight line speed, all of that. So that plus just the work ethic, like despite being a five foot nine, sort of five foot ten player, he is just 
after it all of the time. He's involved in everything that's happening on the ice. He's been the best player on that Winnipeg ice team for arguably two straight seasons now, which is extremely rare. If you talk to the coaching staff with that club last year, they would have told you that down the stretch and into the playoffs as a 16 year old on a team that had several drafted players, had Matt Savoy, who was about to get drafted, Connor Geeky, who was about to get drafted, 19-year-olds like Connor McLennan. They said that he was their best player, their most complete player, their best forward, their best defensive forward, their best offensive forward, their best penalty kill, the guy who drove the power play. He has done it all for two consecutive years in the WHL on the best team, arguably the best team in the WHL during that stretch in terms of the the two-year picture. So just a huge, huge fan. He He drives the bus and he's got the talent. Uh, the, the defensive game is a standout. He's widely viewed by people around the WHL as one of the best defensive forwards in that league. There's just outside of the size piece, outside of him being small, he's five foot nine, five foot nine and a half. And he's about 165, 170 pounds, which is a barrier. Outside of that, I think he's he's the full package in terms of what you want in a top six forward. Yeah, I think, you know, Benson is one of the very best players, not just in the WHL, but in the CHL right now. And I think she's probably going to go back next year. Or he's probably going to tear that league up, uh, depending on even what we'll see what, what he stays with Winnipeg through a full year, probably will uh, next season. Uh, you know, I think, again, I agree with Scott. The skill is extremely good. The hockey sense is extremely good. His compete is really good. I agree with him that his elusiveness and his edges are good. I don't see the burning straightaway speed that you would like to see out of a 5'9 guy. And that is a concern. And I just think like when you're drafting a guy that's small, I, I like to be to get one of those higher ratings at that size without exceptional skating, like not just good skating, exceptional skating. I think you need to have like special offensive traits. And, and and I'm willing to go there. You know, you guys probably won't remember, like I had Cole Caulfield there. Like I had him rated very, very highly going into his draft because I saw uh, some freakish offensive traits between his skill and especially his shot that I thought were differentiators. And even though he wasn't this burning five foot eight, five foot nine guy, whatever he measured in at, at the time, I think it might've been closer to five, eight, um, you know, I thought that he had that differentiator there with his skill at a shot. And I'm not sure with Benson that I see like it's great skill. It's great hockey sense. He works his ass off. Like, I just don't know if I see that special offensive player. I see this really, really good player. And I wonder how it translates. We're recording this uh, on Wednesday right now. So this is right after Toronto, Florida game one and Dallas Seattle game one and I watched both of those games last night and I didn't see many Zach Bensons in those games I I didn't you know it's 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 a it's it's a really tough leap for guys at that size without elite skating ability to, to make it in a significant role and make a real difference on a good team in the NHL now that same argument could be made 10 years ago there wasn't a Jason Roberts didn't look like there was a Jason Robertson in the league and, and now there is and he's playing a really big role on Dallas uh, so, so that could happen. Um, but I, I do think there's a lot of risk in his projection, especially in a non-premium position um, that would make me lean otherwise. But if you give his hockey sense and his skill a little bit higher grade than I have right now, you think you're drafting Lucas Raymond again. And Lucas Raymond went four. I had him rated four in his draft year. And I think he's a great player. So I think that's where the distinctions come down to. I would just add that 
Mitch Marner was 5'10 and skinny when he was drafted, and Mitch Marner is the best player on one of the best teams in the NHL in the playoffs right now. And and has a lot of similar attributes in terms of the work ethic, getting up and under sticks, the play defensively. Marner was a great defensive yeah. player when he was in London. Yep. He was a penalty killer in London. All of those. So there are some similarities there in terms of the hockey sense and the skill and the production. Benson could have had 110 points had he stayed healthy this year, all of that. Yeah, I agree. Like in terms of there's some vague similarities between him and Marner. I would say Marner was a better skater at the same age, at least in terms of like pure quickness for me. And also I had on Marner as a draft eligible, like one of the highest grades I ever gave in terms of like skill and creativity. And like I said, I think that's the distinction. If you, if you get there with Benson, then yeah, he's Mitch Marner. He's Lucas Raymond. Like that's, that's the guy you're saying in terms of like guys as prospects. I just, I just haven't personally seen that when I've watched him, a guy with like those elite like game breaking skill traits. I, I just, I just see a guy who's like really, really good in junior, and I'm not sure he's going to be the 60, 70, 80 point guy in the NHL, at least consistently. No, I was just going to say, I don't see him necessarily in that Marner echelon. Like he's not probably going to be a 90 or 100 point player, but I, I certainly believe he can get to that sort of 60, 70 true top six talent player who also sort of works his bag off and, and provides things in other ways as well and can be a driver on a line. Very fine line there, though, right? Between, you know, on, on both sides, right? If, if a tool grade is a half a tier higher or whatever, it yeah. can really, at that at this point of the, at this level of the, the rankings, right? It throws the projection quite a bit. Big difference in drafting a guy who ends up like a second line winger there to a Mitch Marner. And if, if the difference there is a half a skating grade or a skating grade and, and a sense grade, uh, that's a, it's a, it can be an astronomical difference in value between those things. Uh, I think that's all the time we're going to have today here, Scott, but this was outstanding. I love hearing both of you talk about uh, these guys together, and hopefully we can do this again uh, before too long. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, guys. Okay, guys, let's get to the mailbag. Chris, welcome back to the show. Uh, Bryce C. wants to know, is there a scenario in which Will Smith is an impact player in the NHL before Mitchkoff, given the letter's KHL commitment? Can you see any of the lottery teams taking the chance on Smith ahead of Mitchkov for that reason or simply because he plays center? Obviously, Smith coming off a really, really good U18 tournament. Yeah, you know, I mean, the interesting thing is, is even even as good as as well played and certainly, you know, helped himself and and, and gave a great last impression. I mean, I, I still think there's there's some debate about, you know, other guys like including Ryan Leonard, you know, and, and other players like that. However, what I would say is. You know, the the risk factor is absolutely there with the Mitchkov, regardless of, you know, what we just talked about before um, in our first segment about about Russian players. And I think that, you know, for for teams that they're going to do that risk assessment, they're also going to you know do that. You know, how how much of a difference is there between Mitchkov and, and Will Smith? Now, I, I personally think that there is a gap. You know, I think, sure. that, you know, Mitchkov is absolutely a a. Um, uh, you know, an incredible talent. Uh, I think he's an, an offensive genius and does a lot of things that just few players in this age group can do. Uh, but when you do mitigate that that risk factor, you think about that risk factor and you're trying to mitigate it, I should say, um, you know, I think that there is there is a scenario and there is, a, depending on how the lottery balls fall at this point, that somebody looks at Will Smith and says, yeah, that's our guy. Um, yeah. But I mean, I, you know, for, for me, you know, especially when we're making our lists, it'll still be Mitch Cobb for me. And, and, you know, I would almost rather take on the risk, but at the same time, I, I still see the a path towards him dropping for sure. I think Smith can def can has not definitely, but has a very good chance to be an impact player in the NHL. I think this is a guy who could be, you know, a, a foundational building block for an mm-hmm. NHL club. And I think it's possible 
in two or three years. I'm guessing he'll play at least, you know, he'll play one full year of college. Maybe he plays two. I don't know. He could be a one and done. He has a special talent to do that possibly. So maybe mm-hmm. it's two years, maybe three years. I can see him being an important part of an NHL team. Not a guarantee, but he, but he could. But like, you know, he was the MVP of this past U18s. Mitchkov was the MVP of the U18s two years ago. <laughs> so like with 12 I just, goals scored. <laughs> yeah, like I just like like I you know maybe a little outside I don't mind kind of thing I'm recording this on the day he scores for his national team. Um you know um this is this being Mitch Coffee playing with the senior Russian national team right now. Uh like I just like, like this guy's a freak. He is like there's there's a million reasons I get not to take him and you can think of you can think of them but like this guy is an offensive freak and I, I just don't think it's Smith is a hell of a player but it's not close for me and like you if you want if you want to avoid the risk you have your reasons I get it Smith's a hell of a hockey player but, but like in terms of like I just I just yeah. can't get there and I think that's kind of yeah. what Chris is too I'm with you I'm with you as well and I I mean I've been very high on Will Smith from the beginning of the season but yeah it is. To me, there's just something about Mitchkov that is, you know, different and separating from most of the players in this in this class. But, and I think, but I think there are people in the league. But to answer the question, for is, sure, yeah, you know, I, th- I think there are people in the league that will lean that way that they will take mm-hmm. Smith because he is a center, he plays here. Uh, yep. There are no risks in signing him, and he's a hell of a hockey player. Yep. All right. Uh, next one is from Ethan H who wants to talk about two of the top guys for the 2024 draft. He wants to talk Celebrini versus Iserman following their U18 performances. I thought both had obviously great tournaments, uh, but how, how do you stack these two up? I think they're they're both great players. I think, again, they're right at the top of the board next year. I think along with Ivan Demidov, with Ska, and mm-hmm. and I think everyone will have their favorite flavor of their top defenseman for next year. Some will say Ivan Kimiharu, some will say uh, Artem Levshunov. I might even lean honestly towards Sam Dickinson in London. I think he's a really good hockey player. Um, but I think those guys are right at the top. But for me, it's still Celebrini, and it might be Celebrini with a gap, to be, to be quite honest. And that I think Iserman, Iserman, I think, is the most skilled player in his age group in terms of just pure offensive hand skill, scoring ability, what he can do with the puck on a stick. He's an absolute wizard, uh, can score from anywhere incredible offensive talent, but Celebrini drives the bus. He, uh, when he's on the ice, he dictates play in, in every part of the ice. He, there is no f- hole in his game. Whereas I think with Eisenman, you know, you wonder, is he going to be a two-way player? Is he an amazing passer? I think those are some minor things you could pick apart in his game. Whereas with Celebrini, there's no holes. I think this is a mm-hmm. guy who's on the fast track to becoming a really good you know, number one two-way center in the NHL. Yeah, I, I think there's a I think there's a pretty good gap there, to be honest. Um, and and you know, Corey touched on it. I I think it, for all the reasons that he stated, I mean, there's a size, there's there there's uh you know the the way that that Celebrini handles contact, the way that his poise with the puck, great shooter. I mean, a devastating one timer. He's also got you know just uh, the ability to make defenders miss one on one so he, while he doesn't have as dynamic a hand skills or as quick of hands as Iserman I think they're they're very good um you know and having watched him all year we've talked about it before in the USHL he continually gets picked at every team is gunning for him and it just doesn't matter he continues to produce you know he had the best season ever by a U17 player in the USHL by a mile you know i mean and he also uh, goes and he ties the Canadian scoring record 
for for players of any age in this tournament. Best scoring, you know, scores the game winning goal in the bronze medal game. He's got to be the MVP of the USHL, right? Uh, I, I mean, he was the rookie already named rookie of the year. If he's not the if he's not the MVP, then I might have to go make a phone call or something. I don't know. <laughs> but like, you know, I, I think I also want to say this too. like, you know, we talk there's a lot of NTDP players that that have gone through the USHL. But if we're talking, we take them out. As far as I'm like, Macklin Celebrini is the best USHL player I've seen, period. Sure. Um, outside, you know, Jack Hughes had one of the most dominant runs. I'm the same age as Thomas Vanek, so I didn't see him play uh, in the Power USHL. Was I was incredible. too busy going to college and stuff. And and who's that? Owen Power was incredible. Owen Power was incredible too, but I think Celebrini, again, you know, Adam Fantilli was a fantastic USHL player. Um, I haven't, I, I've watched Celebrini a ton this year. We covered him very early in the season. We knew the hype was there. Um, and he just continues to deliver. Now, what I will say about Cole Eiserman, he scored 69 goals this year. Um, 69. So, so he was only, only Cole Caulfield had scored more goals and he did it a year older than Cole Eiserman did when he came to the under 18 team, Cole Eiserman just kept scoring and scoring even more. Um, he like a, so he got like a hat trick in his first game or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, he came up for one game way early in the season before they had even like, against no, I, meant, like, the the fr- team. I meant the first 17 game. I think I watched him against James. Oh yeah. Yeah. Guy, yeah. He did. Guy, he, 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 I watched the first game. He scores a hat trick. I'm like, yeah, okay, I, we're off to, we're, and, and here we go. Kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, like hat tricks were a normal thing, you know, four goal games. He dominated the under 17 challenge celebrating. He got sick and didn't get to finish that tournament. You know, so we're talking about some really tremendous offensive talents here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I can't like I'm really looking forward to next year's draft. There's a lot of intrigue um, in those players. Obviously, I don't think there's a Connor Bedard, but at the same time, you know, I think Celebrini is, is you know, while we're not going to ter- term him as generational, we're looking at a guy that as he goes into Boston University next year, very well could be the next freshman to win the Hobie Baker. Yeah. I think he has that potential. Yeah. I think him versus Bedard is probably not a fair conversation, but I think right. him versus Jack Hughes at the same age would be an interesting conversation. Interesting. I still think there's a gap there too between Hughes and and Celebrini, but it's not. It's not. I mean, I think like you know, if we're looking at comparable players too, you know, you look at how much he's lapped Fantilli in terms of what he did at the USHL level. It's pretty. It's it's insane to see. So yeah, I mean, I think that there's. It's definitely a closer conversation, Corey, between those two. Between the the USA top line, all going to BC and Celebrini going to BU, Valandis, and Will Anders, yeah, he's that he's next year, right? Yeah, at BU, yep, yeah, will be so. as intriguing a bean pot as uh, as there has been in recent memory. I think we can say that for sure. Uh, next one is from John P. How hard is it to evaluate Team USA's top line independent of one another when they play together so often? Is there a worry of over or underestimating a prospect when they play on a line with such good chemistry? This is a good question and, and one that NHL teams are going to be working pretty hard to sort out over the coming weeks. I think it's a great question because I think it's it's really hard. I think it's hard to evaluate those three guys. I think it makes it harder to evaluate Oliver Moore and Denny Nelson when you have that dominant top line, that top power play, uh, where those guys just can, are just such good hockey players and they can accomplish so much. There's never a reason to make that change. They make minor changes. There was like a couple of weeks there where they took Leonard off the line or there was a times where Leonard and, and, and Smith went to the U20 camp and Perot had to do it by himself. But for the most part, it's, it's those three together. And it's gotten me, that question gets me thinking back to the other like great top lines that were at the program and thinking about the results of that. You know, you think of Jack Eichel with Sonny Milano and Alex Tuck, you know, two great players, one in Milano who's still an NHL player, but 
he was the second player picked on that line, probably would be the second player picked if he redid that. I think of Clayton Keller between Kiefer Bellows and Joey Anderson. Kiefer Bellows, one doesn't age so well. Um, I think of, I believe, was the top line on the Matthews year, Chris, was that Kachuk, Matthew Kachuk, Matthews, and Jack Roslevic? That's correct. The Superman line. So, like, you know, obviously Jack Roslevic is a good hockey player, but maybe, you know, is he for sure going that spot again? If you redo that draft, I don't know. So, like, I make it, it, I, I think all three of those players, Smith, Leonard, Perot, they're outstanding hockey players. I think whatever, they're all, like, top they're 12, whatever, on my list right now. But I think there's a, there's a decent chance five, six years from now, we look back on it and, like, geez, that one guy, I think he might have been propped up a little bit. Yeah, and that's and that's it is hard, and I think you know I especially like when I look at the points, like I'll, you look at the points, and obviously the points are astronomical at this point, and I think that each of them contributed, you know, in a certain. They all had um, over fifty goals. They all had, you know, they they all had a you know, or two of them had over a hundred points, and then you just look at all the other things that Leonard does, and sometimes you wonder, you know, every one you could look at them every different game, and one of them was the best player on the ice, typically, you know, so. Um, but what I would, I would say to that, and Corey's point is very well, you know, very well put out because the, the NTDP has had these situations before with these top lines. I think you still have to come back to the foundation of the skills and the different things that they do. And, and that's why you see, you know, people are like, well, Gabe Perot has the most points of any of those players. Why is he often the third of those three players that's listed? And I think it's, again, it comes back to the projectable skills, the foundation of skills, um, you know. If we're if we're breaking it down, you've got Will Smith, who I think has you know the best the best hands of that group. I think you've got then you've got uh, you know Perot, who I think has the highest you know processing speed and the best brain, and then you've got Leonard, who's you know a great finisher and also has that strength physicality element. So they're all very different players in the end. I think you know Perot and Smith have some some similarities, but in the end, you still have to go back to those foundational skills. And I think you know for a guy like Gabe Perot, you say. Uh, there were a lot of doubts about him, but he showed progression. He continued to produce. And now, you know, I think that we're going to be very excited about all three of them. I think they're all very good players. I think Corey does have a point. Like there's a chance we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know, one of them lags behind the others. I think, you know, of the projectable, I, th- I, I feel like Leonard and Smith are safer projections for a variety of reasons. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I still think with a with the brain that Perot has, with the hockey sense that he has and his ability to find guys and to make plays and to spot plays quickly, um, I think he's got some special traits, too. So I'm really excited to see where they end up and in what order. Um, but but I do think that there's a, a lot there that you can still evaluate, you know, away from, you know, trying to separate them. Versinikos wants to talk about a player we, we probably should have had in our earlier U18 discussion, Dalibor Dvorsky. Wants to know if there's a chance we could even see him get into the top five. I feel like and this this is where I think Mitch Koff comes into conversation. I feel like I feel pretty strongly that, at least in my opinion, that Bedard, Fantilli are clearly better prospects. In my opinion, I think Leo Carlson and Will Smith are better prospects. And then once those four are gone, I think it's game on for Dvorsky. Like I, it depends on where you would have him relative to, relative to David Reinbach or Nick Danielson. A couple of other guys. Obviously, Mitchkov is is a way better hockey player, in my opinion. But if you're not willing to do it, I think starting around five, you have to at least start talking about Dvorsky. But I'm guessing if I was doing, if I was doing a mock draft right now, he would be like six to ten, I think, in a mock draft. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I, it, I mean, again, you know, what's our last our last impression of Dvorsky is is really good. I mean, how many? 
how many consecutive goals I think uh, that that he was involved in for Slovakia in the biggest games of their tournament, in the sure. most important games of the tournament. I think it was something like nine consecutive goals um, that that he put out there. He was my vote for MVP. Yeah, I mean, like without him, Slovakia is not in fourth place. They're not in the medal discussion. They're not anywhere close. And yeah. you know, we, we talked about last time about the importance of him. You know, we like like I said earlier too about needing to see them do it. You know, you need like okay, he he took over a game against Germany. That's great. Oh, then he took over a game against Finland. Then he's got you know a big game against uh, the U.S. You know, he's he's competitive. You know, he's he's able to play against all these different teams and and show you know some. Um, you know, basically some, some pushback and to be a top player for his team. Um, and it was great to see. And I think it was all the things that we believed he could be this season. And so, yeah, I also feel that not only did he help himself at that tournament, but it just reminded us of not just what we saw at that tournament, but, but what we believed he could be all year. And now you actually put that in action. So I think, yeah, because of the Mitchkov question hanging over the first several picks of this draft, is really where you know it's, it makes it a lot tougher to, to to predict. But then, as Corey said, the jumble of and the lack of consensus from those guys outside of the top four is really significant. And so that's going to be fun to kind of see, you know, how these chips fall when when the when the lottery balls bounce, whichever way they're going to bounce. I think we said it even before the tournament. You know, he he was maybe one of the, maybe the guy who needed that big moment at this event. And it, fair to say, he had it. And I think that kind of leads us into our next question too. Yes, it does. Nam Danan, the last time a defenseman didn't get drafted in the top six, it was two decades ago when Ryan Suter went seventh in 03. Could this draft see the first blue liners name called even later than that, Corey? It's possible. Like I said, I think once you get past Bedard, Fantilis, Smith, Carlson, not everybody believes it's distinguished like that, by the way. Not every scout I talked to is fully on board with Smith being in that in that conversation. But I think a decent amount are, and I think it's reasonable to, to make to, to draw those lines and then depending where Mitchkov goes could be earlier than those four some of those four could be later it's I think it really depends who you ask what team's going to be picking there then I think you I think you have to start talking not just about Dvorsky but David Reinbacher I think starting around four to five I think you I think that's right around where you start talking about him. doesn't mean he's going four or five four five six seven eight I think are all very realistic landing spots for him so in terms of that, that specific number outside the top seven like yeah it's possible he gets outside the top seven I think he's what like seventh on my pref list right now so I probably wouldn't take him top seven I would probably want to pick somebody else but I, I think top seven top eight, I think he is firmly in that conversation. Yeah. And I, I would agree. I've been doing a lot, you know, as, as we're kind of getting ready to put my own list out, get doing more video work. And it's just like, you know, you can see if you, you know, if he, he checks so many of the boxes, like he checks and, and checks so many of the boxes that NHL teams are, are looking for, which is why, you know, you look at the way the draft went with, with Moritz Sider when he went sixth overall um, and, and how, I just feel like there's so many similarities in just kind of the buildup, the buzz, the growth of, and then also the, you know, there's just not a lot of precedent for what Reinbacher did this year in, in Switzerland. Max and I have talked about, maybe not uh, Cider, but I wonder how he would compare to Juracek at the same age. Mm. Like Man, in that's interesting. Of, yeah. You know, in terms of the late birth date, right shot defenseman. I think Juracek had more offense. Yeah. 
a little bit more, but this guy showed a, quite a lot of offenses. Yeah. 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 I have him. I have him pretty. Yeah, that's true. He did. I mean, and, and certainly record, you know, record production and in, in, in the, in the league that he was in without many peers. And I would argue say. it's a better league than the league your check played in. I, I agree. It is. I, I think so. I think it's a tougher league for, and it's not a, it's not a league where you commonly see young players play at the level that Reinbacher did this year. So you take that into account as well. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting factors there, but yeah, I, I, he, that's another one of those guys where I just feel like he's in that kind of blob of players that we're looking at after four and saying, Hey, it could be, could be anybody, you know, and, and really yeah, probably even after, you know, whatever Mishkov goes, you know, there's just so much, so much in the air at this point, but I do think that Reinbacher is going to go pretty high in this draft. I feel like figuring out Mishkov is the key to any mock draft. Yeah. <laughs> it is, but honestly, even if even if Mitchkov does go, you know, in the top three or four there, I think there's enough teams in that five. We'll see what happens with the lottery. Obviously, that five, six, seven, even eight range that are going to need a right shot D. That I, I feel like he's going to go by seven, if not, you know, a couple picks sooner. Sure. All right, uh, we will close today with Nabil Raymond, someone who has barely been talked about on the pod. I don't know if that's true. How much did Matthew Wood improve his stock? Maybe we haven't given Matthew Wood quite enough uh, of shine, but coming off a great tournament, uh, Nabil says top 10 doesn't seem impossible anymore. Do you agree, Corey? Um, it doesn't seem impossible, no. I think with with Wood, his last two international tournaments, you know, he didn't really go that well. Mind you, one was as, a, as an underage at the 18th last spring. And then the Holinka this past summer. In both instances, he pretty much gets benched in both of those tournaments. He's, he's a power play guy and they don't play, Canada doesn't play with even strength. And in this tournament, it's different. He is one of their dudes. He is playing a lot. He played, I think, something like 20 plus minutes uh, in their in that bronze medal game. Uh, he's part of that great line. Celebrini drives that line, but him and Wood and Callum Ritchie are very big parts of that line. He plays really well. I think his compete looks as good as I've seen it before. I'm not saying it's an asset. He's not like this high energy guy. He's not going to run anybody, anybody over. He doesn't use his big body like you'd like him to sometimes. But he, I thought like he showed up every night. He was a good player for them uh, consistently. Uh, his skating is an issue. It's still an, it's always been an issue. I don't think it's going to change going forward. Uh, but this is a guy with a very impressive profile. This, he was a leading scorer of his college team as a 17-year-old freshman. He was the leading scorer of the BCHL as a 16-year-old. Uh, this is a guy now with a strong under under 18 under his belt. Uh, he has a lot of skill. He can score goals. Uh, there's a lot of things about his profile that is really desirable. I think top 10 would make me anxious if I was doing doing that. Just because I feel like when you're picking that high, you'd love to not be saying but after every part of his scouting report kind of thing. Like, yeah, he's really talented, but the skating and those nights off sometimes like that and not a premium position. So those things worry me a little bit. Uh, and I don't know if he's just so dynamic to overcome that. Like I thought, I thought he's at the 18th, he showed really good offense, but I don't think like he like jumped off the page at you. Like say like someone like with like Perot's skill did or, or, or Smith. Uh, but, but he's a really good hockey player. And I think top 20, top 15, I think that's the, place to have a good conversation about him. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the interesting thing, so I don't view him as a driver, right? You know, he's not, he's a finisher, he's a finisher. And I think that that's when, when you're, when you're picking within the top 10, you want to have guys that have that driving element typically, even if it's, you know, if it's a wing or, or he's got to be such a gifted scorer that you can overlook 
the fact that he's he's better when he's with somebody that can get him the puck. Um, and, you know, we saw that kind of like we talked about that with guys like Cole Caulfield, the difference being Matthew Wood is a giant, you know, compared to Cole Caulfield. Um, the thing that I love about Matthew Wood on top, like I think he does play well down low. Like he like Corey said, he's not going to you know be a massive physical presence, but he's good. He's good enough down low. He's good at the net front. One of the things I think he does as well as any of the the guys that we look at as goal scorers in this draft is his ability to kind of pop into space to find the soft areas to to anticipate what his center is going to do. I thought he looked great with Celebrini and you know Celebrini could play with a little bit of pace. Um that little slip pass that Matthew Wood made to Celebrini under pressure in overtime was one of the better plays that we saw him make in the tournament on top of scoring the game tying goal. Um, I, you know, I think that there are teams that look at the size profile, the scoring ability and different things that, 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 that he'll get consideration within the top 10, similar to Corey. I feel like, you know, the, my concerns are in the skating and the, you know, the, the, the lack of kind of, uh, evidence that he's a driver, but I think his finishing ability is top end, you know, his goal scoring, his shot, his, uh, you know, his anticipation skills, the way that he plays off of a center. I really like that in a wing. Um, and, and so I think he's going to be a, you know, he could be one of those guys. that's just a really good value find in that mid, like right after that top 10, um, where you're really excited about the player that you get. All right. That is going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the athletic hockey show prospect series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the athletic hockey show. It's actually a really good time to do it because Corey and I are planning a draft lottery live stream and instant reaction on the YouTube channel on Monday. You can look out for more info on that. You can also catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. And right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for just $1 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.